Welcome to the Latinx Kid Lit Book Festival podcast. This is season one, episode 22, Latinx Rebels Poetry Slam, with poets Amira Leon, Elizabeth Velasquez, and Jose Olivares, moderated by Lorian Tu. Enjoy the show. the very first Latinx Kidlet Book Festival. I am Lorian Tu, the panel moderator for this uh, Poetry Slam event. And um, I am so excited about our three guests, our three poets today. Um, we have Amira Leon, we have Jose Oliveras, and we have Elizabeth Velasquez. And these three are just the most amazing people. I have been immersing myself in their work in order to get myself ready to meet them. And I just know that you would absolutely love everything that they've made as well. So I highly recommend checking them out. Um, let's see. We have Amita Leon, who is from Harlem, New York. Um, she is a poet a musician, a composer, um, a performer, an educator, an activist. She is very busy. <laughs> she went to the NYU Tisch School of Drama, where she learned how to incorporate all these many talents into this beautiful power. And she uses it to um, talk about her own experiences and reach out to other people who need to see that strength and have that hope in their own lives. Um, she has a full-length album out that just came out in September called Witness, and she has two books out. One is a poetry anthology um, called Concrete Kids, and the other is a picture book called Freedom We Sing, and um, she is living in London right now, and that's really exciting. She, uh, her play Vaseline opened in um, the London theater, and so I guess that's why she's there, right, Amita? <laughs> um, we also well, have- I just moved back to New York, which is crazy. Oh my goodness. <laughs> <laughs> we also have Jose Oliveres, who is um, from Chicago. His parents um, immigrated from Mexico and um, he, he has a beautiful book of poetry called Citizen Illegal that talks about um, a, a lot about how the kids of migrant people have to kind of straddle these two worlds where um, they're, you know, they have one foot in the past and one foot in the present. And then like they're looking through to the future and what is that like for, for people in that circumstance? Um, as a second generation of immigrants uh, myself, I can more or less relate, not exactly, but um, I definitely have many, many stories from my abuela about coming over here from Cuba. And um, so I, the uh, poem that you wrote, Mexican-American Disambiguation, um, I really felt so connected to that in so, so many ways. Um, and, uh, I'm really excited to hear your poems today. And last but not least, we have Elizabeth Velasquez, who um, is 
from Brooklyn and um, has been through so much in her life and uses it to write beautiful, meaningful, colorful, rich poetry. Um, one that I recently um, heard that just really hit me in the heart was about mommy and poppy going out during quarantine. And um, the, the one part of it that just really made me tear up was what a privilege to stay home and not feel like I'm missing out on a morning joyride, just one block or bodega brewed coffee or the celebration of not having to wait so long to see if any good news has arrived in the mail. Um, that just really took me into a whole nother world right there. It transported me because um, it's something that I feel a lot of us take for granted as second, third, fourth generation people that um, we, we are very relatively privileged compared to what our parents have had to go through or our grandparents have had to go through. Um, Elizabeth um, is very well versed on mental wellness and um, overcoming conflict um, and uh, speaking truth. So I am um, very much looking forward to these three very wise and noble kings and queens who are with us today um, and who have blessed us with their presence. So. Um, our first question um, is for Amida. Do you have any advice for students who are interested in pursuing their own art, whether it be music, performance, writing, visual arts, anything like that? Honestly, I always tell people, find out, you know, no, I do a lot of different things because there's times where writing can sometimes get into a place where I feel like I'm, you know, I'm putting myself into a place of captivity. So that's when I start to paint. And then when the painting can't quite do what words do, but words ain't the thing, then I start to sing, you know, and I think that we have uh, from a from a very, 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 very entering and artist ever really entering that space knowing that nobody knows what you're capable of but you can find out um so get a journal if it has lines get one that doesn't have lines as well if you don't feel like writing then start talking start starting conversations that you ask questions that you think are too silly to ask um and really just start exploring um, and journaling. I really, really recommend journaling. Uh, it gets you really well acquainted with yourself, your body, the things that you might be interested in, the things that keep coming up. And I find my themes are often the things that keep coming up, you know? And so then it's like, it becomes an opportunity to dance around what's possible. Um, I started singing about five years ago and, and the first everyone was like, well, sung before, you should get voice lessons. And then I got voice lessons and they were hitting a piano and they were like, do re mi fa so. And I was like, oh no, I have zero. In beginning the process of discovery with limitation, you know? And so, 
So they would, they, I, I stopped taking voice lessons immediately and said, actually, let me find a safe way to explore my own craft and my own body and my own offering. So I just highly encourage young people and everybody too, to understand that creativity is not, you know, just for the artist self-identify you know it's also doesn't need to just be a hobby really invite your state a space where you can be free you know and i think that the more you create that space and the more you allow creativity to flow the more the the medium may announce itself you'll find that you like so and so um just listen to your heart and be open to the fact that these titles you know, illustrated, all of those things, they're discoveries, they're things you walk into, not something that you have to use as the destination. It's something that really can change and be malleable. So I just want y'all to know that from the jump, invite yourself to find clear freedom and let the art be that, whatever it is. Thank you so much, Anita. Jose. What advice would you give to a young person who would like to pursue arts in um, writing, poetry, music, visual arts, anything like that? Yeah, that's a good question. My advice would be that making things is really fun. And so you should play and experiment and stretch your imagination. Um, one of my favorite ways to get into a creative mode when I'm feeling stuck or when inspiration is not coming easily is I love to read or watch movies or listen to music or watch music videos. And then I like to try and think of my own remixes or try to come up, use the language, use the images that I'm already given to see if I can make something new uh, that's, you know, that's more in tune with my own way of living my own life circumstances. So what I would say is, you know, being an artist is a lot of fun. And so enjoy yourself. I would say, uh, you know, make things, be weird, experiment, be creative. Like you don't have to make the same things that other people have made over and over again. And I love what Amita said about, uh, you know, if you get stuck, you can also change genres, right? You can really experiment with all facets. Some things don't need to be poems. They can be music, they can be theater, they can be whatever you want it to be. So uh, do that, make everything, make plays, make sculptures, make paintings, make whatever you wanna make because all of it is creative and all of it will feed your imagination. Thank you very much. Um, and Elizabeth, um, same question for you. What kind of advice would you give young people who are interested in poetry, creative writing, performance art, things like that? I'm really big on asking myself questions. I feel like that's how I've gotten to know myself the most. I ask questions of myself. I ask questions um, about my community. Um, I'm a really, really curious and inquisitive person. Um, and so just sit with yourself. Like, what do I like? What haven't I tried yet, but I want to, but I'm scared to. Um, how did I feel when I tried it, right? And giving yourself permission is really, really important because creating an imagination doesn't require permission from anybody else, from anybody outside of you, right? Creating starts here, imagination starts here, right? That's This is you. So you have all of the power to give yourself permission. Do I wanna do this? 
Yes, right? Who's stopping me or no, right? Maybe I don't wanna do this, right? Um, but really, really just like getting into that space of uh, exploring. Um, and the other thing that I wanna say is that we don't have to create for anybody but us. We don't have to create to be the next best poet, to be the next best painter, to be the next best singer. We don't have to have those um, expectations of ourselves. Literally, we can create and no one ever has to see it if we don't want to. And I think that that has given me a lot of freedom um, because when I sit down, I'm like, okay, this is for me first. And then I can decide if this is something that I wanna share with the world. And that has made me feel so much less pressure. Um, and I think that it's just really important to know that we have um, the power over what we create, how we create it, um, and how we share that, or if we share that with other people and with the world. Thank you. Thank you every, everyone for answering that question. Um, so let's get to the poems. Um, Amita, would you like to go first and, and share a poem? Okay, this is going to be an excerpt from Concrete Kids, y'all. Um, let me just, um, I'm gonna read two because they're quite short, uh, but this piece are all saints. Self-love is the process of becoming safe in your body saying hello to the softest parts of you come morning, behind the ears, the knees, under your chin, the, creating a, a temple, laughing with yourself in the mirror until you feel whole again, basking in the sacred nature of your heartbeat and your ribs, Vaseline and scripture forever kept on your lips. We are all saints. It is merely a matter of worship. And then this one, but there is a curse. Okay. And then this one, I wanted to, I wanted to share one about, you know, heart. And then I'm going to share one that's about gentrification in Harlem, which you'll hear about, but um, there is a war, one that suffocates language before to escape us one that aims to shift the DNA of our kingdom as we sleep. Come morning, they will call our confusion amnesia, call our amnesia a joke, rewrite the reality and tell us what we need to know as their quiet laughter dismantles the walls of our home. Entire neighborhoods, entire countries, entire generations will die fighting. There will be blood, there will be blood. Everyone knows the scent will eventually cradle its way into our nostrils, the same way roaches become a part of the family and the entree. They sold the empty lot on Madison where we often play and devour chubbies and peeling has begun and the entirety of 109th Street is newly infested with cat rats and roaches, the kind that multiply and the kind that fly. Apparently they're turning our little corner of paradise into luxury apartments for the rich, for those who can afford it, and a Dunkin' Donuts in the lobby. For America may run on Dunkin', but El Barrio runs on Bustelo, so trust, munchkins and a 99 will never be enough to soften the blow. 
No one knows how long it will take to build, but we all got our eyes on the overgrown lot and know what's coming. Despite the scarcity and the occasional hunger, we live in abundance. There is no sense in living otherwise. We are wholly in our hand line. We never let ourselves get consumed with what we do not have. We rejoice in the reality of what we do. There is no way to discuss Harlem's wonder without its struggle, and not to mention its struggle without its celebration. Depending on the day, you could between Eden and a war zone. Thank you. That was beautiful. I I uh I don't know if we're taking requests here, but I I really love um as you were reading that, I was thinking of your other poem um for Harlem and its angels, and both of them are so 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 beautiful. So thank you so much for sharing with us, Amita. Um, how about uh, Jose? Would you like to share a poem or two? Sure. Um, this poem is called "Ode to Cheese Fries," and it's a poem for cheese fries, which is not just uh, a delicious food, but it is um, something that reminds me, you know, it was like one of the things that we used to eat when we were celebrating, uh, and it reminds me of home. So this poem is called Ode to Cheese Fries. Golden goo of artificial delicious, what probably lines my stomach with sunlight grease for weeks after eating the yellow, so yellow, it could only be manufactured. So what if it's fake? as much cheese content as Apple Jolly Ranchers. I come from a city of foreclosure, foreclosure, empty lot, city where we got dollar store brand action figures. So what my Wolverine didn't have retractable claws or the right uniform. So my joy at Panos, my favorite fried everything spot, the cashier's voice, a box of Newports filtered through throat. I didn't know I would miss this home where the patties come from freezers and maybe not ever from cows or even animals. I live in a city that brags about its organic quinoa-fed beef. Of course, I miss the 90s pop playing in the restaurant, the Backstreet Boys, uh, the Backstreet Boys live in Cal City where the band never breaks up. The song plays on repeat as the cashier takes my order. Say it with me, cheese fries, please. Give me everything artificial, including cardboard fries, the bread fresh out of some Walmart cloning experiment, throwing a cold pop. I want a joy so fake, it stains my insides and never fades away. Cool, thank you. Jose, that was amazing, thank you. It reminds me of when I was in high school how we would always go to Checkers and get the spicy curly fries. <laughs> um, let's see. Um, uh, Jose, do you have another poem that you uh, would like to share with us? I know you have a whole book and I've heard a bunch of them and I love them so much. So I would love to hear another one if you have another one ready. Sure, I could read another poem. Thank you. So one of the things I'd like to do in my writing is write poems for little objects, artifacts that are important to me that I don't get to see reflected often in you know in other places right and so this poem is an example of that this is a poem i wrote called no vaporu uh 
And I wrote it because I said, if I ever wrote a book, I would include Vaporu in it. Um, if you don't know what Vaporu is, you can Google it. Uh, it's called No Vaporu. Vaporu is pronounced Vaporu, like loud or chew. The label for Vaporu says it's for cough suppression. But in my house, Vaporu is for headaches, sore muscles, nightmares, and everything else. Put some Vaporu on my dad's diabetic toes and watch the sugar evaporate. Miss a day of church? Put some Vaporu on your forehead and watch forgiveness flush your cheeks. Put some Vaporu on our bank account and watch the bill collector stop calling. When I forget a word in Spanish, I take a teaspoon of Vaporu under the tongue. Thank you. I love that. Thank you. Um, Elizabeth, uh, can you please share some poems with us now? Yes, I just had to make sure I was unmuted before I started to perform. Thank you. Okay, so um, I have two poems that I'm gonna share. The first one is called Pronunciation. We can tell who is from the neighborhood and who isn't by the way they pronounce street names. We pronounce Grahang Avenue not like the cracker, Graham, but like if the first half of the word got stuck in your mouth and you had to breathe to let out the second, Graham. Some people say that we saying it wrong, but they are just jealous that our accents want every letter to be heard because isn't that the worst thing to exist so plainly in sight and still be ignored. And this uh, next poem is called Class Clown. Um, I think I'm pretty funny. I think I always said that if I wasn't a poet, I'd be a comedian. But that's also like just me by myself. No one has ever really verified that. So I'm just gonna, you know, I'm gonna go with it. But I was definitely a class clown. I always had the jokes in class. Um, and so that this is uh, where this poem came from. I don't know why we get in trouble for laughing. If they saw how much time we spent crying, they would be encouraging our laughter instead. One day, our laughter will be revered. Our laughter will have its own holiday and parade. Our laughter will be a mandatory course of study in school. Our laughter will be researched and analyzed by scientists. Religious organizations will call our laughter a false prophet, fearing we found a new God in our smile. We'll blast our laughter out of car stereos in the summer so loud that they'll want to feature it in the opening ceremony of the Olympics. Maybe our laughter will be the torch. Maybe they'll want to make our laughter the national anthem. Our laughter will cure our bodies. Our laughter will be hereditary. Our laughter will be as full as the check cashing spot on the first of the month. Our laughter won't ever be hungry. Our laughter won't ever be worried. Our laughter will stay strapped. Our laughter will split skulls. Our laughter will dance like it's never had sense. Our laughter will sound like it's caught the Holy Spirit. Our laughter will be so much of a miracle that God will give it its own heaven. Maybe one day 
day our laughter will be so valuable, so valuable that someone will want to steal it, that they will try to bootleg it, that they will attempt to sell it back to us at a higher price, that we will have to protect it, that it will have to come with a warning, that we'll have to tell our children, yo, laugh at your own risk. And they will, and they will, and maybe they do, and maybe we do. Wow. <laughs> I'm trying not to cry, but that that was amazing. Thank you so so much. Um all right. Um let's start to answer some questions from students. So um we have the first student. My name's Jonah Alvarado and my question is where did you get the idea of your story? Question. <laughs> I got the idea from my story for Concrete Kid because I uh, I was asked to write something that invited young people to understand how to navigate the, you know, the hyper relevance of violence in our, you know, and how do you want what to do when you don't know their circumstances, you know? And so I asked myself that very question. I said, how can I possibly tell anybody what to do? So I looked at my life and said, here's what I did though. And I realized that sometimes you learn the most what to do. And so I decided to just tell my story. And I'm very specific here in my Concrete Kids encapsulates, there's like three or four poems that really say, oh, this is me getting to the age 13. And when I was 13 years old, a lot went down. And when I was 13 years old, nobody was asking me the right questions. And when I was 13, I ignored all kinds of realities from the children who were in them with wars that, that they used to talk about and wars that did not exist in the history books and did not exist in the guidance counselor's room at school. Everyone was afraid of the reality that children and young people the world for real. And so I just wanted to share that uh, a testimony I did in that year, the experiences that I saw. And like I read in one of the pieces called Infestation, look at the trauma you can't look at the war without looking at the miracle without looking at the wonder without discussing the laughter you know and so i just wanted to create a space where young yo she talk about the black oh what she talk about the you know i wrote it for me the person that i was and i also adults who are raising children or teachers who are teaching children who don't necessarily know how to have an entry point of conversation um so that's why i wrote my Cool, excellent, so I'll jump in. Um, the inspiration for my book, Citizen Illegal, comes from a couple different places. One, you know, I grew up Mexican in the suburbs of Chicago, and usually when people talk about uh, Mexican-American experience in the, United, in the United States, they think about Los Angeles, they think about Texas, but we have a pretty big Mexican community in Chicago, and so I wanted to write a book of poems that was centered in the suburbs of Chicago that contained not just the postcard of what you think about when you think about Chicago, right? Not just the skyline and the big buildings, but contained all of the stories underneath the postcard, right? My parents, my dad grew up working in a steel mill. My mom is a janitor. So I wanted to write working class poems. I wanted to write poems about all the things that I loved growing up 
that I never got to see reflected in pop culture. Um, so that was one of the things that inspired me. And then the other thing that I'll say is, you know, when I was in high school and I started applying to colleges or whatever programs, you know, I learned very quickly that there was one story that, you know, outsiders, you know, maybe, you know, we'll say white people really valued about me, right? And that was like this story of like overcoming, you know, immigration and all of this other stuff. And so I didn't want to just tell that story. I wanted to think about how I could write a book of poems that tried to question that story, that tried to play with the assumptions that people make about who we are and what stories we're bringing to the table. Thank you. Elizabeth? Um, I'm not muted, right? No, you're good. <laughs> I got like, I got mute trauma because I'm like, um, so I, uh, got the idea for for my book when we make it. Um, I grew up first generation uh, Puerto Rican in Bushwick, Brooklyn. Um, later on, I learned about the New Yorkian identity um, and all of the brilliant writers that came from that. But growing up, I didn't know none of that. I didn't know any of it. Um, I just knew I was a Puerto Rican girl. Um, my parents were Puerto Rican and we lived in Brooklyn in Bushwick. Um, and there were so many messages at that time about what it meant to be a, a Puerto Rican in Brooklyn and what it meant to make it. Um, and we were such a, a layered kids. Uh, we had so much to offer. Um, we had uh, the pain, but we also had mad joy. And so I wanted to read something that uh, existed in a way that covered the complexity of who we are, like covered all of it. Like, who are we? outside of our pain and who are we inside of it because that matters too and who are we when we're navigating both and all of the things at the same time and we're code switching through emotions and through language based on what we uh think that society uh needs us to be um and what happens when we don't code switch right what does that look like um and so I really wanted to write a book that uh, loved and celebrated the totality of who we are, the complexities of who we are. Um, and Toni uh, Morrison has a quote that says if, um, and I'm, ch I'm chopping this up and I should not be chopping this up, but if there's a book out there in the world that you wanna read, you should be the one to write it. Um, and so um, I always think about that. Um, when I am uh, writing. Um, and yeah, I wanted, I wanted to read this book. So um, who better uh, to write the book that you wanna read than you? That's wonderful. That's really great advice. Thank you very much. All right, so um, the next question comes from Taylor, who is in fifth grade and from Colorado. Hi, my name is Taylor. I like to write first thing in the morning when my creative juices are flowing. What time of day do you like to write? Oh my goodness. <laughs> Adorable. Um, <laughs> I honestly like to write in the morning. 
as well. First thing I do is put on the coffee and as I'm putting on the coffee, I'm going and I'm washing my face as it's being made. And then by the time the coffee is made, my journal is where I need to be. My coffee is being poured. And then I sit and I write and I write and I write. And by the time I'm done writing, my coffee is cool enough to drink, <laughs> you know? And it's like, I, I, I ritual of returning and returning and returning. So then no matter what, I journal every morning. When I'm writing a book or writing anything more in depth, I really create a dance of events around my life to make me excited about what I'm gonna do. You know, so if it's like, oh, okay, I'm gonna go meet, I'm writing, I'm spend the day with my sister and then I'm gonna have a voice and record our conversation. And then in the evening, a day of honoring the time I spent in my inspiration. So I always find ways of, uh, yeah, building rituals around it. But the morning is my favorite. Yeah, I love that answer about building rituals. I think that's important. Um, and I'm the same way. I, I, I write in the morning. Um, I try to write with uh, two different, so I'll type on my computer, but then I'll have a journal open. And the reason I do that is because Sometimes I find that as I'm writing, I'll get other ideas and so I don't want to lose them. And so I'll just put them, I like, I have a place to keep those extra ideas. Um, so yeah, I love writing in the morning. I think you're right, Taylor. That's when my creative juices are most, you know, if I wait until night, it's too late. So for me, the morning is the time for sure. Um, I think we all morning people here, which is, um, not a thing I thought I would ever say because I'm technically yeah. not a morning person. But as soon as I wake up, I am writing. I'm thinking about writing because my there I have two children and there are so many things that I have to get done throughout the day that if I don't have that moment of reflection to myself, which is really what my mornings are, then I am too exhausted to reflect later on. Um, However, the other thing that I noticed about myself and you'll start to notice once you start to pay attention to your patterns. And I think that that's really important because I tried many different times of the day before I realized that I settled on the morning um, that naps are really important for me. <laughs> so if I find that I am trying to write and I am exhausted, nothing is going to happen. So I look at naps as a fast, I've literally looked at naps as a fast forward button. Like I can fast forward through this frustration. I can fast forward through this writer's block. I can fast forward through all of it. And when I wake up, Yo, I might have even had a dream that was so dope that it could be a story. So I excite myself in this way. These are things that I think about and talk about. Uh, so I think it's important to think about the times of day that you are most um, creative and pay attention to yourself. Pay attention. If you notice that in the afternoon after school, you are like the most creative because all of these things happened in your day and you just need to get it out, um, then that might be the time for you. You might be an afternoon writer, right? But if you are someone who's like, yo, there's so much homework, 
mad homework and I, there's not gonna be no writing unless it's an assignment for my teacher, um, then you might have to think about what some other days, um, what other times of the day is best for you um, to write. So always just play around and you can always change it. There was a time when I wrote at night and then I had kids and that was not working for me anymore, right? So life changes. Um, and so don't be afraid to, to, to experiment. Thank you. Thank you very much, all three of you. We have one final question. And it is from Julia, who's in fifth grade in Connecticut. And the question is, if you had to describe yourself in three words, what would they be? Ooh. Um, I would say, I feel like my mind is like a kaleidoscope. I tend to see a, the same time looking in one direction and I feel like my mind is constantly assessing all different corners of the room and finding a way to twist it, turn it, kind of like a bop it. <laughs> um, I don't know. If I, um, <laughs> so kaleidoscope, I would describe my mind as a kaleidoscope. I would describe my spirit as the sun. Um, I'm very, very tethered to light. And the, my most fascinating aspects of intrigue are when light shifts. So that does play with darkness and it does play with clouds but my mind uh my spirit tends to be this radiant thing the shadows are the things that come through or around my life my spirit guides me with a a, a very firm light um and i think my process is like water yeah um i just i find out what makes me feel good what makes me feel holy what makes me feel present today and I, like you look at the way your life is and when it changes allow it to change we are allowed to change y'all are young you're, you're gonna find out every day that something new is is more exciting than what was happening yesterday you know and you deserve to be present in that and to not build expectations around yourself when you're you're looking how to begin um anything but yes those are my three words water kaleidoscope and light Uh, my three words, I'll just give you the three words. My three words are shovel, plant, wolf. My three words are hilarious, <laughs> uh, inquisitive, and clumsy. I'm super clumsy <laughs> physically, and I'm extra clumsy with my words which is odd because I'm a poet, but I think that's what makes me a good poet, that I'm not afraid to fall. That's great, that's really great. I love that. Okay, um, thank you so much, the three of you, for being guests on this panel. I, I feel like I am not using hyperbole when I say that this really was life-changing for me to learn about you guys and get to talk to you guys. And um, thank you so much on behalf of all the kids watching um for sharing your wisdom and your insights with them um thank you everybody for coming and um don't forget to share the festival on social media hashtag lkbf 2020 thanks everybody bye
Hello, my name is Amina Leon. I am a Harlem native and the author of Concrete Kids. I'm gonna read a few excerpts and talk to you today, which I'm excited about. Um, this piece is called La Marqueta. Electric Saturdays in El Barrio. Caminando con mi madre, bailando con el sol. La Marqueta, a weekly celebration of Puerto Rico. La Isla de Encanta. Fresh bacalao, dominoes, bomba y plena. We can't help but eat as we go. Sugar cane, yuca, aloe vera, tomato, aguacate y quenepas. This is our daily bread. This is our reminder. It is more than a market. It is our culture. It is generations of laughter echoing in the tunnels somewhere between here and there where all our family gathers. And this is called elastic. My reflection has never been easy. When I did not see my mother and had no father to compare, I had to learn to see who was really there, staring back at me, had to love her more than I loved anybody. Foster care forces you to befriend the temporary, to assimilate constantly, to pretend you have no dreams, no memory. So I fell in love with the ephemeral nature of being. Each sunrise reflected in my eyes is a hymn to the moment. Each sunset, a reminder that time, like light, can shift. That the sacred nature of breath is all I need to manifest the life that they say I will never live. Oh, to know a love like this, everlasting and malleable. A love that will forever become the light in the uninhabitable. And this is the last piece that I'll share from Concrete Kids. This is called Legacy. We write our names in the concrete just in case morning comes early, just in case we start disappearing, just in case the moon don't shine and there ain't no melody in our cry, just the absent ache of becoming. We write our names in the concrete to claim what is rightfully ours, to manifest a legacy they said we could never know, to reclaim the history they tried to silence. The revolution was jazz in response to violence. They could not take the rhythm from our bones. They could not disintegrate the melody in our marrow. Brass and gospel, funk, rock and roll. They may steal the land, but they will never capture the soul. We write our names in the concrete, line the track with our heartbeat, beat, beat, beating the life into the ground where all our kin seem to be. We write our names in the concrete, dreaming of the day we are finally free. Thank you. Um, so I chose to read those three pieces because I know we're getting close and intimate here. Um, we chose, I chose to read those three pieces because they really look at different aspects of my identity. You know, La Marqueta was a staple in El Barrio. I would go there every single weekend with my mother. It was like a family reunion every week. We were able to go and buy fresh vegetables from all across the Caribbean. And we were able to see traditional dances coming again from everywhere, you know, and my mom, who adopted me was from Puerto Rico. And so I was raised in an incredibly diverse home because not only, you know, was she from Puerto Rico, but she had been living in Harlem her whole life. And not only had she been living in Harlem her whole life, but she was a Santera. So she interacted a lot with different aspects and different cultures that were in alignment with her spiritual work as well. So I was raised understanding lots and lots about, you know, uh, 
Mexico and West Africa and Cuba and just, you know, the different aspects of Santeria that really lived in my home were visible all over Harlem. We used to go to the Botanica three times a week, you know, getting that holy water prepared to clean our homes and our spirits. So when I think about the, the integral nature of heritage in my life as someone who was adopted, it was really interesting for me to recognize that for a long time before I understood and had access to the information that did let me know where I came from and who my parents, like what my lineage and heritage was, I was building an identity long before I knew where I came from. All I knew was that I was born and that I was present and that I came out with this skin color with hair like this, you know? And um, so it created this opportunity for me to really be able to say, okay, what I don't know can't dictate my life. What I do know is the invitation. So I've been able to build an entire career based off of that exploration. My work really does explore identity and how it, it pertains to location, how it pertains to media, how it pertains to what you feel in your heart and, and, and what you know in your body and your spirit and how other people treat you and perceive you, you know? And so... Legacy, you know, that piece is like we write our names in the concrete. It was such a thing. In New York City, if you were raised in New York City, you know you waited for somebody to repave the street so you could go and write your name and maybe your favorite year or the year you were born in there or your nickname, you know? And it was why? Because it would be there years from now. I, I wrote my name in Harlem when I was maybe 11 years old in the concrete. And I go to Harlem today and I still see that there. And none of the buildings look the same. Half of the people have been displaced, but my name is in that concrete today, you know? And that was such a big part of, of being raised in Harlem was understanding legacy from the jump. Every single day was an opportunity to build your legacy. Every single day we were looking for ways to lift each other, to carry each other, to honor one another. Um, so yeah, and then, you know, I, 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 yeah, just being a black woman raised in El Barrio, raised in, surrounded by people who did look like me, surrounded by people who had similar dreams to me, surrounded by people who had similar limitations to me. It really became about, once I realized that my work was looking so much at identity, it really became about how do I invite other people to look at their identities, to fall in love with what they know and what they don't know and to honor that? How do we honor that? You know? Um, so yeah, I, I just am really excited to be on this journey of discovery, you know, and, and the more, the older I get, the more access I get to information. And so, you know, a few years ago, I found out that my birth father is Dominican. And that was huge for me because this whole time, yes, I am a black woman, but I didn't know where my heritage came from. And so suddenly I'm like, oh my God, I have something to hold on to that I was actually raised around. I went to a Dominican church in the Heights my whole childhood. I was raised by a Puerto Rican woman, so Spanish is on my tongue. I was in, you know, I was raised in New York. So I was surrounded by people, surrounded by cultures that I didn't know necessarily to say, this is my own, but I was breeding and understanding and building a, a, a culture for myself, surrounded by people who did know where they were coming from. And so now as that journey continues to settle in me, it is just an honor to continue to find ways in which I can um, build safety and build bridges 
amongst the different aspects of my reality, of my experience and my identity. So I urge you, no matter where you come from, whether you know or not, which I think is really important. There's, it was a hard thing for me all the time going to those little boxes and being like, I don't know, other. I guess I'm other. I don't know where I come from, but can I just say I'm black with some good hair? <laughs> you know, like, and not good hair in any other way than the fact, look, this is the way I came out and this is who I am. You know, and I think that there's so much that we do to build distance and separation. And there's just a lot that can be done to bring us closer, you know. Um, so I hope that you are well. And please go get a copy of Concrete Kids. And please go take a walk in Harlem today or whenever you can, um, you know, and... Yeah, be easy with yourselves. And for all the young people who may be watching, I highly encourage you to journal and to trust the value of your own story and to trust the value of your own opinions and the, 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 the things that you believe in. You deserve to identify what those are for yourself and to um, build rituals of honoring that you know? Um, so I urge you to journal. I urge you to paint. I urge you to dance. I urge you to ask your family questions. And regardless of your family um, unit, really allowing yourself to celebrate the, the, the diversity and the vastness of who you are. Okay. And if you don't know who you are yet, that's okay. I've been spending half my life trying to figure out, you know, so I'm excited and I am hoping that you all have a beautiful day.